Colossians chapter 1 together this morning, I would like us to just bow one more time for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing, the amazing praise that has been offered up this morning. Lord, I, I, I pray that it has come from each and every heart, from a real place of connectedness to you, that as we think about the great things that you have done for us, as we think about the grace that you have showered upon us in Jesus Christ, your loving, faithful care each and every day, your new morning mercies that turn up every, every time we hit the alarm clock, Lord, we just, we can't say anything, but thank you. We thank you. Lord, we ask that you would move in our midst this morning. That your Holy Spirit would challenge as well as strengthen our hearts today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. We could probably all tell a story or probably many stories of when things did not go according to plan in our life. Those stories may involve a, a flat tire or running out of gas. They, they may involve a health scare or health concern. They may just involve simply a bad day, a, a waking up in the morning and, and uh, not expecting four or five inches of snow on the ground and not being able to, to get out of your driveway or safely get down your road. We all have stories of times when things did not go as planned. I remember one time, and this is small in the whole grand scheme of things, but it was, it was big in the moment. <clears throat> so when my wife and I were on staff at New Tribes Bible Institute, and we, uh, we had an apartment inside the, the main building, and we decided to go join the students for lunch in the cafeteria. And we were, lunch was starting, we were just getting ready to walk out the door, and we had Caleb at the time, and he was maybe uh, 15 months old. No, he, he wasn't even that. He probably wasn't even a year old. And um, he was all dressed and all ready to go, and uh, we had him sitting in his, his bouncy saucer while we finished getting ready, and we were getting ready to pick him up to take him out the door, and we had discovered that he had filled his diaper, and he had filled it so significantly that he had come up the back of his outfit, and furthermore, it was coming up the sides, and he had decided that he wanted to try hair gel for the first time. And so as I go to pick him up, I, I recoiled in fear and terror at this um, child who was just covered in filth. <laughs> and uh, so we, uh, we, as quickly as we could, you know, hosed him down and washed him up and changed him, and we got out the door. And, and no sooner had we gotten to the bottom of the, our stairs than the president of the college uh, was walking past, and he greeted us. And... He, he, uh, he took one look at Caleb, he grabbed Caleb, and he stuck his nose in his hair and took a deep breath, and he said, I love how baby's hair smells. <laughs> Good thing we shampooed, because it wasn't like that a minute ago. <laughs> we all have those moments when things do not go according to plan, but I want you to know that the God of the universe is not like that. He is never surprised. He is never taken aback. He, he doesn't have to worry about getting up in the morning and, and finding snow that he didn't know about 
covering his driveway. Everything, according to Ephesians chapter 111, works out according to the purpose of God's counsel and his will. And specifically in this passage that we're going to read in a moment, God says that he is working out a plan for each and every one of us. That God loves us so very much that he has showered his blessings and grace upon us in Jesus Christ so that he can accomplish his will through us. Last week, if, if you were here, you heard me share that I'm excited about what God is doing in our church in 2018. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what it means to reach and build and send as a part of our mission as Brown Corners Church. And we're going to try this summer to, to flesh those things out a little bit more, what it means to reach our community, what it means to be built up as a body, and then to send his people out into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And last week, as we, as I said that one of the core values of all of this will be relational discipleship, a redundant term that, that speaks of us getting connected with one another, pouring into each other's lives, and allowing deep relational community to take place. But in order to do that, I wanted to talk about a couple of foundational things. I wanted to step back and think, what are some things that we need to know before we begin to think about deep relationships, deep discipling relationships with one another? And last week we said it's important to understand that that goes back to the very uh, character and nature of God. We talked about the Trinity and how, believe it or not, the Trinity is not a dusty old doctrine, but it's a, it's a Bible teaching that impacts our very lives. And we, we showed how the, the, the love of the inner, the inner Trinitarian love that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have had throughout since before the foundations of the earth, well, it's the overflow of that that causes and enables us to love one another. That's the foundation for the love that we should share as Christ's body. But this week, I want to talk about our, our standing, our position in Christ, because there may be some who think, discipleship, pastor, that sounds like a, a monumental task. To me, that sounds like teaching a class or like stuff I've got to know to be able to teach to other people. F furthermore, it sounds like we well, use the word relational. That sounds like getting connected with people. And I'm kind of shy. I'm kind of an introvert. I don't know about this, Pastor. Well, I want to show you this morning from Ephesians chapter 1 that God has equipped you to do the things that he has called you to do. He is working out a plan in your life. God has purpose for all that he has done in Jesus Christ in your life, through Jesus Christ in your life, so that we can be strengthened to pour into other people. And that means walking through hardships with them, sharing soul-strengthening experiences and praises, at times teaching the scriptures or things that God has taught you, maybe exhorting the hard-hearted or loving on the faint-hearted. So as we look at Ephesians chapter 1 today, I want you to see that you are more valuable to God's kingdom than you ever thought possible. You are absolutely crucial to his plan because you are intricately inwoven, inwoven into the, the, the plan that he has uh, formulated from before the foundation of the world to redeem his people. 
Scott Sauls has said, sometimes the greatest barrier to loving, to this idea of a deep loving relationship, is a vague belief that we ourselves are unlovable. And it is shame that makes us feel that way. Now, for all of you thinking that this might be just simply a rah-rah speech, uh, you can do it, uh, that, that, that uh, same speech maybe your little league coach gave you all those years ago that told you the greatest ball player, even though you never hit over a buck 20, uh, that, that your teacher told you you were the smartest and brightest student, even though you got C's your whole life. Listen, this is not about a motivational speech trumping our self-worth. This is about looking at what God says about us and just rejoicing in the status that he has given us in Christ. Ephesians 1 is not first and foremost about us. It's about God and about who he is and what he's done for us through Jesus Christ and the riches of his grace that he has just bestowed upon us. So with that in mind, I want us to read together verses 3 through 14. Just try to, to take in these verses the amount of, of truth and grace that come through these verses. It's like drinking out of a fire hose. But try to, try to get a little sip this morning as we read these verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory." These verses are so richly packed with doctrine. We're not going to be able to look at them in detail. We're going to take a bird's eye view. Maybe God, God willing, we'll come back to Ephesians someday and walk through these in a little more detail. There's so much here that uh, the, great, the great Welsh pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, preached 22 messages on verses 3 through 14 alone. We're not going to do that, but we are going to, to look briefly at what God says about us with an eye towards seeing how that makes us fit, makes us useful for his service. The first thing that I want to encourage you with from Ephesians 1-4 is that you have been chosen. 
you have been chosen. Verse 4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This Greek word means to select or to prefer. The Bible says that God has chosen those who are his from before the foundations of the world were even laid. Before you and I, before history began, before Adam and Eve were created, before the stars and the moon and the sun were hung in the sky, before God walked through this earth and spoke forth the beauty that we enjoy around us, God said before all of that took place, before the world was created, He chose us. He said, I want you. You are not in God's family by accident. Isn't it a blessing to know that God had you in mind even before he created you? That is his great care, his great loving care that he has placed upon you in Christ. Now, this doctrine of election is something that we're, we just don't have time to dive into in depth this morning. It's a doctrine that causes a lot of division, a lot of discussion, a lot of interesting debates and arguments. And this morning, I'm not interested in going down that path because I want you to just to see with great joy the idea that God had you in mind before the world was created. That means you are not insignificant to Him nor are you insignificant to his plan to take the gospel into the far reaches of the world. Whatever you believe about the doctrine of election and the implications of that, we cannot ignore the fact that the Bible teaches that that we have choices and decisions. Even though we see three terms here, uh, we see... um, Chosen in verse 4. Verse 5 talks about being predestined. And again in verse 11, God talks about predestining uh, according to his purpose all things. We must realize that the scripture here clearly teaches that, that we're called on to make choices. Verse 13, right in this very context, says that we believed in him. Whatever your understanding of Scripture on these matters are, we have to see that, that these truths are equally taught in Scripture, that, that God makes a choice and that we are responsible to believe and to obey. Theologians have battled for years as to how those things go together, and I, I have no better answers than, than they do. There's a verse from an old hymn that I think captures this doctrine well. He says, I sought the Lord... I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of Thee. Jesus told His disciples in John 15, 16, He said, You did not choose me, but I have chosen you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That is the doctrine 
of election, the knowledge that God has chosen us, his love for us is so great that before the foundations of the world were laid, he was thinking of his people. But secondly, number two, we're also told that we have been adopted. We have been adopted. Verse five says that we were um, predestined for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. There's that word again, purpose. And God says, I have a purpose and a plan, and it's to bring you into my family. Now, lest you think that the reference to adoption as sons is a, another uh, uh, a play of the scriptures to, um, to speak only to uh, the, the male um, population here. Know this for a second, that Ephesians was being written to the entire church, men, women, and children, And in that culture, it was the oldest son that had the the, the greatest blessing. And so what he's saying is, he says, whether you're a man or a woman, I want you to know that I'm adopting you and I'm treating treating you with those blessings that would normally in our culture be afforded only to the sons. You all get it. You are brought in as a child. Now, I know we've talked about this truth before. Because it comes up in several places in Scripture. But the idea of being adopted into God's family is so rich and so precious. Chapter 2 of Ephesians is going to tell us that before Christ, before we met Christ, we were God's enemies. I want you to think about this in our terms for a minute. I want you to think, let's say, let's say there's a, a teenager who is an orphan living on the streets, and this teenager becomes your enemy because let's say he he breaks into your house, steals a bunch of stuff. You know who it is. Maybe you caught him on camera or you caught a glimpse of him leaving. And this teenager goes on to torment you and make your life miserable. And, And though you try to plead with him to to turn his life around, to leave you alone, to stop stealing or destroying your stuff. This this teenager is, is bent on nothing but rebellion and doing the exact opposite of everything you say. Well, one day you find out that, that he doesn't have a home, that he's orphaned. And you find him milling through some trash cans on the street. This teenager who has made your life miserable for months and months, and you approach him and say, I don't even know your name, but I want to adopt you. If someone in our midst shared that story at a small group or, or, or on Facebook, we would privately, maybe publicly, question their sanity? Have you considered the safety of, of your other kids, your pets, your, your possessions? Are you out of your mind? It's an imperfect illustration, but the Bible says that while we were still his enemies, God moved toward us, predestined us towards adoption, and said, I want you to be my child. And so that scripture can tell us, I believe it's in Romans, that that we are joint heirs with Christ. That means that that in a spiritual sense, we become the brothers 
and sisters of Jesus. We are that loved, we are that cared for, and we are that important in God's family. And the Bible says it's all a part, verse 5 tells us it's all a part of the purpose of His will. Know this this morning, that you are not in God's family by accident. You're not that, that last kid picked on the ball team. Said, well, I guess we'll take Jeremiah. God does not look that way at you at all. You are his precious possession whom he bought with his own son's blood. And he has brought you into his family. Thirdly, from verse 7, I want you to see that you have been redeemed. You have been redeemed. Verse 7 says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The idea of redemption literally means buying back something. In the Old Testament, when someone sold his property or even got so far into debt that he would sell himself into slavery, a relative could buy back the property or buy back the man's freedom. This relative is often called the kinsman redeemer. Leviticus 25 describes him. In the book of Ruth, this is played out in action. In the story, as Boaz redeems Ruth and her mother-in-law from poverty by marrying her. So in Mark 10.25, Jesus will say that he has come to give his life as a ransom for many. Buying you and I back as God's lost property. His sacrifice on the cross was an act of great value, and it purchased for him a people of his own possession. So we belong to God both by creation and by redemption. The Bible doesn't say that God is simply willing to forgive or that Jesus has come to proclaim that God is a forgiving God. I don't know. It was the cross of Christ that made God's way of forgiveness possible. In Him, we have redemption through the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. Number four, I want you to see that you are a trophy of God's grace. Listen to the richness of the language here. Verse seven says, in Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, or the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Verse 6 tells us that, um, that what all has been done in our life are to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 8 says, uh, at the end of verse 7 and verse 8, the riches of His grace, which He's lavished upon us. And then verse 12 tells us the wonderful truth that, that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Do you hear the the language here? It's extravagant. The Bible says that God has literally lavished us with his grace, has has just overwhelmed us with grace. Now, as I was reading this this week, um, a a buddy and I have have, uh, tried to cut sugar out of our diets, and so um, food keeps coming into mind, and that wasn't all that. I mean, it was like that before, but it's been really bad this week. And so as I was reading this passage about this idea of lavishing, I was thinking about what I like to do with my pancakes when I have good maple syrup. I do not like a dry spot on my pancakes, 
All right, that's how pancakes are supposed to be eaten. Uh, if you do not have a little lake left over where you can go get another pancake you're not hungry for and dab it up, you haven't used enough syrup. And so I just, in fact, I almost did it this morning, but I knew that I'd want to eat it too. I have a plate of hot pancakes and just, just go to town with the syrup. The things that my, I, I yell at my kids for, I do when they're not looking. Just that, that again is a poor illustration for what God has done with us, with his grace. He's just said, here you go. Here you go. Here's more. Here's more. Here's more. Well, I, I think that might be enough. No, here's more. You have more, you're going to need even more than you even know. So here's more, here's more. God has just lavished us with his grace in Christ Jesus. Has, has given us more that we can fathom. And, and to think then that either A, I might not be useful to God's kingdom that I might not have anything to offer to God, or that be somehow my, uh, my gifts, my, my talents, who I am is, is just not important in the body. Can you see how that, that thinking completely disregards the gifting and grace that God has showered you with? God has loved you so much. The Bible says that he uses the word, he's lavished you with his grace. This morning, if you've walked in here feeling discouraged, despondent, maybe the weather has got you down, maybe it's circumstances in life, maybe it's this very thought, though, that I've, I've, I've struggled with sin this week or I've really made a mess of some things, and I don't see how God could use me. Know this, that he has lavished you with more than enough grace, not only just to forgive you, but to get your life on track, to allow you to be able to serve him and be an important part of his body. And then finally, number five, you have been sealed by his spirit. You have been sealed by his spirit. There is so much truth in here that we're, we're just grazing over. But one of the great gifts that God has given to enable you and I to serve him, to love each other, to, to be a part of his body, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does many things in our life, but one of them is that when you come to Christ, the Bible says that he seals you with his spirit. This takes a picture from the idea that um, the, the, of, of an official mark that was placed on a letter or a contract or another important document. The seal was usually made from hot wax, which was placed on the document and then impressed with a signet ring. The document was thereby identified with and under the authority to, or under the authority of the person to whom the signet belonged. Did you hear that? The, the sealing meant that that document belonged to someone. There was importance attached to it. And that document was under the authority of the one to whom the signet belonged. When God seals you and I with his spirit, he shows us that we are secure, that we truly belong to him, and that we are under his authority. God has made you a permanent placement in the body of Christ so that you can serve him. As we read these verses the, the word purpose came up three different times. 
Our God is at work in our lives in redeeming us through Jesus and in the sanctifying process of, of working out his purpose in us. His sovereign purpose that began before we were even created. Our God is, is not a winging it kind of God. Maybe some of you in high school or college were specialists at cramming the night before a big test or a big exam. Our God doesn't do that. He is working out a plan that he had since before time began. But as we close, I want to share with you just three things that the knowledge of this worth, well, what it should cause us to do. Because knowing that God has placed such tremendous value on us in Christ, it should impact our daily lives. If you read these verses and you can just shrug them off or like, eh, that's kind of cool, then you're not letting God's Spirit impress them on your heart. Because these verses are, as with all of Scripture, are life-changing verses. They're powerful verses. The first thing that we can do as we think about these verses is we can rejoice. We can rejoice. Psalm 100, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And the last verse of that psalm answers why. Why do we make a joyful noise unto the Lord? For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. When we hear about the love and the grace of God, our hearts should just well up in praise, well up in worship. This text over and over and over again speaks of praise and worship. Verse 6 says, to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 12 of Ephesians 1 says, to the praise of His glory, as does verse 14. When we hear about all that God has done for us in Christ, joyful worship should rise to the top. The second thing that it helps us do is to rest. One of the greatest, one of the greatest lies our enemy tells us is that you don't measure up. You didn't, maybe you didn't measure up to your parents or a coach. Maybe you don't feel like you measure up to your spouse. And he wants you to believe that you, you don't measure up in the body of Christ either. And maybe even worse, you don't, you don't measure up to God. And so when we spend our lives feverishly working to earn acceptance with God and to make sure we feel important among his people, we get exhausted. We get burnt out. We get fried. And, and, and usually... The result at some point is just to throw your hands up and say, forget it all. This isn't worth it. But that's not the message that Jesus came to proclaim. He says, those of you who are weary and heavy laden, if you come to me, I offer rest. Not, not frantic misery of trying to earn acceptance, I offer you rest. When we believe the truths that we read here in Ephesians chapter 1, it's like a big soul sigh. I'm free. I'm loved more than I could ever fathom. And we can rest in that. And then finally, it should cause us to reach out. And this is, 
this is my, my hope, and, and this is the reason that I inserted this message as we're talking about relational discipleship. Because when we begin to grasp, and, and it's a lifelong journey, okay? It's a lifelong journey to understand the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus through his love and redemption. But as we begin to grasp those things, and as God begins to fill our tank and encourage our soul and strengthen our hearts, our response should be to want to bless others with what God is strengthening our own hearts with. Our response should be a desire to serve others with the power that God is giving to us. Our desire should be to reach out. It's all part of God's plan. A plan that began before before this world was ever formed. To save you and I through Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and, and you don't know about this saving love of Jesus or it's never become personal, oh, I pray today is the day that you would trust Jesus as, as your Savior and experience this redemption, this forgiveness, this acceptance that comes only through Christ. And so his plan that has been going on throughout all eternity is to take us and save us And strengthen us so that we might go out and serve. I'm excited to see how God is going to lay on your heart to be involved in discipleship and serving and using your gifts throughout this year. But I just want to do away with the notion. Anyone who has any inkling that you might not be part of God's plan to be used for his kingdom to serve his people for his honor and glory. Because Ephesians chapter 1 is talking about what God has done for you in Christ and the great salvation that he has accomplished and the power that's available to equip us to be part of his plan. Let's pray. Gracious Father, what can we say this morning? But thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. For the hope and the love and the strength and the power that comes through the grace that flows from your throne. Heavenly Father, this morning I want to ask that, first of all, that if there's people here to whom this message is foreign, that they might understand your grace for the first time in a real way today. Secondly, I pray that you would encourage those who who may have come in discouraged this morning. Lord, lift their spirits as they think about the love that you have shed abroad in their hearts through Jesus. And then finally, Lord, I want to ask that you would help us to see how your grace equips us to serve. The precious truths about the grace that has been lavished upon us in Christ aren't just for us to sit and and relish, to to simply soak in and and enjoy for ourselves, but you've given us these, these precious truths so that we might be changed and think outwardly. Lord, help us to think how we can become more relationally involved with one another in in, in building disciples and, and in loving and demonstrating your grace in real and powerful ways. 
We thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit is at work in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen.